Chapter 46 of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume 1, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 46 The Mob's Arrival at Sir Francis Varney's. THE ATTEMPT TO GAIN ADMISSION The soldiery had been sent for from their principal station near the churchyard, and had advanced with some degree of reluctance to quell what they considered as nothing better nor worse than a drunken brawl at a public house, which they really considered they ought not to be called to interfere with. When, however, the party reached the spot, and heard what a confusion there was, and saw in what numbers the rioters were assembling, it became evident to them that the case was of a more serious complexion than they had at first imagined, and consequently they felt that their professional dignity was not so much compromised with their interference with the lawless proceedings. Some of the constabulary of the town were there, and to them the soldiers promised they would hand what prisoners they took, at the same time that they made a distinct condition that they were not to be troubled with their custody, nor in any way further annoyed in the business beyond taking care that they did not absolutely escape after being once secured. This was all that the civil authorities of the town required, and, in fact, they hoped that after making prisoners of a few of the ringleaders of the riotous proceedings, the rest would disperse and prevent the necessity of capturing them. Be it known, however, that both military and civil authorities were completely ignorant of the dreadful outrage against all common decency which had been committed within the public house. The door was well guarded, and the question now was how the rioters were to be made to come downstairs and be captured, and this was likely to remain a question so long as no means were adopted to make them descend so that, after a time, it was agreed that a couple of troopers would march upstairs with a constable to enable him to secure anyone who seemed a principal in the riot. But this only had the effect of driving those who were in the second floor and saw the approach of the two soldiers, whom they thought were backed by the whole of their comrades, up a narrow staircase to a third floor, rather consisting of lofts than of actual rooms, but still, for the time, it was a refuge, and owing to the extreme narrowness of the approach to it, which consisted of nearly a perpendicular staircase, with any degree of tact or method, it might have been admirably defended. In the hurry and scramble, all the lights were left behind, and when the two soldiers and constables entered the room where the corpse had lain, they became, for the first time, aware of what a horrible purpose had been carried out by the infuriated mob. The sight was one of perfect horror, and hardened to scenes which might strike other people as being somewhat of the terrific, as these soldiers might be supposed to be by their very profession, they actually sickened at the sight which the mutilated corpse presented, and turned aside with horror. These feelings soon gave way to anger and animosity against the crowd who could be guilty of such an atrocious outrage and for the first time a strong and interested vengeance against the mob pervaded the breasts of those who were brought to act against it. One of the soldiers ran downstairs to the door and reported the scene which was to be seen above. A determination was instantly come to, 
to capture as many as possible of those who had been concerned in so diabolical an outrage, and leaving a guard of five men at the door, and remainder of the party ascended the staircase, determined upon storming the last refuge of the rioters and dragging them to justice. The report, however, of these proceedings that were taking place at the inn spread quickly over the whole town, and soon as large a mob of the disorderly and the idle as the place could at all afford was assembled outside the inn. This mob appeared for a time inertly to watch the proceedings. It seemed rather a hazardous thing to interfere with the soldiers, whose carbines looked formidable and troublesome weapons. With true mob courage, therefore, they left the minority of their comrades, who were within the house, to their fate, and after a whispered conference from one to the other, they suddenly turned in a body and began to make for the outskirts of the town. They then separated, as if by common consent and straggled out into the open country by twos and threes, consolidating again into a mass when they had got some distance off, and clear of any exertions that could be made by the soldiery to stay them. The cry then rose of, Down with Sir Francis Varney! Slay him! Burn his house! Death to all vampires! And at a rapid pace they proceeded in the direction of his mansion. We will leave this mob, however, for the present, and turn our attention to those who are at the inn, and are certainly in a position of some jeopardy. Their numbers were not great, and they were unarmed. Certainly, their best chance would have been to have surrendered at discretion. But that was a measure which, if the sober ones had felt inclined to, those who were infuriated and half-maddened with drink would not have ascended to on any account. A furious resistance was therefore fairly to be expected, and what means the soldiery were likely to use for the purpose of storming this last retreat was a matter of rather anxious conjecture. In the case of a regular enemy, there would not perhaps have been much difficulty, but here the capture of certain persons, and not their destruction, was the object, and how that was to be accomplished by fair means certainly was a question which nobody felt very competent to solve. Determination, however, will do wonders, and although the rioters numbered over forty, notwithstanding all their desertions, and not above seventeen or eighteen soldiers marched into the inn, we shall perceive that they succeeded in accomplishing their object without any maneuvering at all. The space in which the rioters were confined was low, narrow, and inconvenient, as well as dark, for the lights on the staircase cast up that height but very insufficient rays. Weapons of defense they found but very few, and yet there were some which, to do them but common credit, they used as effectually as possible. These attics, or lofts, were used as lumber rooms, and had been so for years, so that there was a collection of old boxes, broken pieces of furniture, and other matters, which will, in defiance of everything and everybody, collect in a house. These were formidable means of defense, if not of offense, down a very narrow staircase, had they been used with judgment. Some of the rioters, who were not only just drunk enough to be foolhardy, collected a few of these articles at the top of the staircase, and swore they would smash anybody who should attempt to come up to them, a threat easier uttered than executed. 
And besides, after all, if their position had been so impregnable, they must come down eventually, or be starved out. But the soldiers were not at liberty to adopt so slow a process of overcoming their enemy, and up the second-floor staircase they went, with a determination of making short work of the business. They paused a moment, by word of command, on the landing, and then, after this slight pause, the word was given to advance. Now, when men will advance, in spite of anything and everything, it is no easy matter to stop them, and he who was foremost among the military would as soon have thought of hesitation to ascend the narrow staircase before him when ordered to do so as paying the national debt. On he went, and down came a great chest, which, falling against his feet, knocked him down as he attempted to scramble over it. "'Fire!' said the officer, and it appeared that he had made some arrangements as to how the order was to be obeyed, for the second man fired his carbine and then scrambled over his prostrate comrade. After which he stooped, and the third fired his carbine likewise, and then hurried forward in the same manner. At the first sound of the firearms, the rioters were taken completely by surprise. They had not had the least notion of affairs getting to such a length. The smell of the powder, the loud report, and the sensation of positive danger that accompanied these phenomena alarmed them most terrifically, so that in point of fact, with the exception of the empty chest that was thrown down in the way of the first soldier, no further idea of defense seemed in any way to find a place in the hearts of the besieged. They scrambled one over the other in their eagerness to get as far as possible from immediate danger, which, of course, they conceived existed in the most imminent degree the nearest to the door. Such was the state of terror into which they were thrown, that each one at the moment believed himself shot, and the soldiers had overcome all the real difficulties of getting possession of what might thus be called the citadel of the inn, before those men who had been so valorous a short time since recovered from the tremendous fright into which they had been thrown. We need hardly say that the carbines were loaded, but with blank cartridges, for there was neither a disposition nor a necessity for taking the lives of these misguided people. It was the suddenness and the steadiness of the attack that had done all the mischief to their cause. But now, ere they recovered from the surprise of having their position so completely taken by storm, they were handed downstairs, one by one, from soldier to soldier, and into the custody of the civil authorities. In order to secure the safe keeping of so large a body of prisoners, the constables, who were in a great minority, placed handcuffs upon some of the most capable of the resistance. So what with those who were thus secured, and those who were terrified into submission, there was not a man of all the lot who had taken refuge in the attics of the public house but was a prisoner. At the sound of firearms, the women who were outside the inn had, of course, raised a prodigious clamor. They believed directly that every bullet must have done some serious mischief to the townspeople, and it was only upon one of the soldiers, a non-commissioned officer, who was below, assuring them of the innoxious nature of the proceedings which restored anything like equanimity. "'Silence!' he cried. "'What are you howling about?' 
Do you fancy that we've nothing better to do than to shoot a parcel of fellows that are not worth the bullets that would be lodged in their confounded carcasses? But we heard the gun, said a woman. Of course you did. It's the powder that makes the noise, not the bullet. You'll see them all brought out safe, wind and limb. This assurance satisfied the women to a certain extent, and such had been their fear that they should have had to look upon the spectacle of death or of grievous wounds that they were comparatively quite satisfied when they saw husbands, fathers, and brothers only in the custody of the town officers. And very sheepish some of the fellows looked when they were handed down and handcuffed, and the more especially when they had been routed only by a few blank cartridges. That sixpennyworth of powder had defeated them. They were marched off to the town jail, guarded by the military, who now probably fancied that their night's work was over, and that the most turbulent and troublesome spirits in the town had been secured. Such, however, was not the case, for no sooner had comparative order been restored than common observation pointed to a dull red glare in the southern sky. In a few more minutes there came in stragglers from the open country, shouting, Fire! Fire! with all their might. End of chapter 46 Recording by Roger Moline